Welcome to I Dare You, a series through the book of Daniel with Skip Heitzig. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I want to talk to you today about faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of the supreme attributes, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in business, whether it's in friendship. In Proverbs chapter 20, Solomon said, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful man or a faithful woman? That's typically an attribute we assign to God. We say, Great is thy faithfulness. But again, the question, who can find a faithful man? There was a husband who was faithful to his wife, loved his wife dearly, but his wife is a jealous woman and always eyed him suspiciously and accused him of bad behavior. He worked at an office, wore suits every day. When he would come home in the evening and if he had a blonde hair on his suit, she would accuse him of having a fling with a blonde in the office. Honey, it never happened. It would never be true. I love you. I'm completely, totally faithful and committed to you. But she was just that jealous type. If he came home with a red hair on his coat or a brown hair or black hair, same thing. She'd accuse him. So finally he wised up and he bought a little lint brush to keep in his car. So he cleaned his suit one day, came in spotless. And she examined his suit, not a hair on it. He bent down to kiss her thinking she'd be so relieved and she pushed her hand and said, get away from me. I can't believe it. You're having a fling with a bald woman. <laughs> Who can find a faithful man? We ask that question every time a sports hero falls or a leader fails. Where is there somebody who is faithful? God found a faithful man in Moses. In Numbers 12, God says, he, Moses, is faithful in all my house. Nehemiah found a faithful man in a leader by the name of Hananiah in Jerusalem. He described him as a faithful man who feared God more than most. Faithful. In the New Testament, Jesus spoke about a faithful and wise servant who was able to assume control over all of his master's goods. And Jesus used the parable and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over these small areas. I will make you ruler over 10 cities. In Yellowstone National Park, the most famous attraction is a geyser called Old Faithful. It's not the biggest geyser in the park. It's not the most powerful geyser. But it is the biggest tourist attraction because of its regularity, its consistency. You can count on Old Faithful to go off at the right time. Of all of the attributes that people may possess, be it genius or competence, faithfulness always is the top of the list. As one leader said, the greatest ability is dependability. Well, Daniel chapter 6, I'm tempted to go through it all because of the great story, but I'm going to divide it up into two and just look at the first few verses with you today because our focus is going to be on Daniel who was faithful. In fact, that would be a word that sums up his life. He was a faithful man. And today I want to look at his life like a walled city, a city with four ancient walls, walls of faithfulness. 
Daniel was faithful consistently. Daniel was faithful professionally. Daniel was faithful under scrutiny. And Daniel was faithful spiritually. So that is, over time, he was faithful to his boss, to his country, and to his God. And we'll read down from verse 1 to about verse 15 in total this morning and go finish the rest of it next time. But let me just tell you what's happening. Because you read of a new king. There has been a kingdom change. There, there is new administration. Nebuchadnezzar's dynasty, even Belshazzar, is all gone. The kingdom has fallen to the Medes and the Persians. And we're introduced at the end of chapter 5 to a character named Darius the Mede. Darius the Mede. We know historically the real ruler was Cyrus the Persian king, but he used Darius, also in history known as Gobrius or Gubaru, depending on what source you read, as the viceroy and thus the de facto king of Babylon to rule this vast region. So there has been what Nebuchadnezzar thought was impossible. Babylon has fallen And a new kingdom has arisen, even as Daniel predicted in chapter 2, the arms and chest of silver. The head of gold is gone, and now the Medo-Persian Empire is fully in control. But our focus isn't on the Medo-Persian Empire. It's not even on Darius the Mede. The real focus is on a character described in verse 4 as being faithful, and that is Daniel. So let's look at our text and look at the first couple of verses and see how that Daniel was faithful consistently. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Just such a weird word, satraps. I'll explain what they are in just a moment. To be over the whole kingdom. And over these, that is over these satraps, three governors of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Daniel was one of three chiefs of staff, administrative governors, over 120 princes or provincial rulers, territorial rulers. That's the word satrap in the Aramaic satrapies. It's even worse. So these were regional rulers who all gave an account to three guys in charge, and Daniel was one of them. Here's what's interesting. Daniel in this chapter is about 85 years old. He's been in Babylon for over about 70 years. The captivity is about up. So almost 70 years Daniel has lived since he was a teenager. He's still in Babylon. He was the teenager in chapter 1 who purposed in his heart not to defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, you remember. And six kings have come and six kings have gone and one kingdom has left and another kingdom has arisen And Daniel is still there. He is not in absentia. He's 85 years old and he's still on the job, faithful, serving the Lord in all of these kings and in two of these nations, one after the other. You see, faithfulness isn't doing the right thing once. Faithfulness is doing the right thing over and over and over and over. And Daniel is that man. When William Carey, who became the great missionary to India, announced that he wanted to go overseas and serve the Lord on the mission field, his dad wasn't too stoked. His dad tried to dissuade him and say, you're not intellectually 
qualify. You don't know the Indian languages. You don't know the history. You don't know the culture. You shouldn't go. To which William Carey responded, but I can plod. Plod. I can just put one foot in front of the other and I can plod along. Oh, the wonderful things God has wrought through faithful men and women who just put one foot in front of the other and plod along faithfully and consistently over time. Here's what I like. Daniel's 85 and he's not retired. I'm not saying it's bad to retire, but I just admire a guy who's 85. And in our culture, we would want to put Daniel in a retirement home. In our culture that reveres the young and doesn't pay so much attention to the aged, unfortunately, that's where all the wisdom lies. Daniel is still very, very active, very much at work in this kingdom. Did you know that Thomas Edison at 90 was still inventing things? Frank Lloyd Wright at 90 was still drawing things. Michelangelo at 89 painted his most famous work still hanging in the Sistine Chapel called The Last Judgment on one of the great walls of that chapel. John Wesley at 88 could still preach forcefully and articulately after having traveled 250,000 miles in his lifetime by horse. After preaching 4,000 sermons and writing volume after volume after volume, 88 still going strong. This year, Billy Graham turns 95. You know what he's been doing lately? Writing another book. And preparing for the biggest evangelistic outreach of his time that will come later on this year that we're going to be a part of. 95, still serving the Lord. Last year, I went to visit his song leader, George Beverly Shea, in his home. He's 104 years old this year. He can still sing better than most. Faithful, consistently, long obedience in the same direction. That's Daniel. Also, he was faithful professionally. Look back at verse 2. Over these 120 provincial rulers, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, some translations say was number one, the first, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, once again, we see Daniel in a high-ranking government position. Isn't that interesting? No matter what chapter we have been in so far, virtually every chapter, almost every chapter, Daniel is seen by his bosses as somebody a cut above the rest and gives Daniel a promotion. In chapter 1, when he was a teenager, we are told God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. In Daniel, the second chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief administrator over all the wise men. In chapter 5, Belshazzar made a proclamation that Daniel should be the third ruler of the kingdom. So it's just amazing that on a professional level, 
every boss that he had saw the dependability and the competence of this man and promoted him, gave him a raise at every turn. You remember in the New Testament that Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And he said, let your light so shine among men that people can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think that the best place for that to happen is the workplace. Simply because next to your home, that's where you spend most of your time, at work. If you live to be 70 years of age, and I hope you live longer, but if you live to be 70 years of age, you will have worked by then a total conglomerate of 20 solid years. You'll have worked 20 solid years. You're going, no wonder I'm so tired. But the point is, that's 20 years to be on stage at a workplace where people can observe how you work, what your ethics are like, like they did here with Daniel. Daniel's on the job. Honestly, some of my best years of ministry were in the secular work environment. When I worked in radiology and had the opportunity to witness to people, share my faith with people, work around people day in and day out who would never come to church, who were agnostic, atheistic, or antagonistic, or all the above. It was just very interesting and very, very fruitful. And I remember people coming up to me, and because they knew I loved to teach the Bible, even when I worked in the secular field, I loved to teach the Bible, carried a Bible with me. Somebody would say, do you think you ever want to go into full-time ministry? Full-time ministry. I smile and I say, I am in full-time ministry. I am full-time serving the Lord no matter where I'm at, no matter who happens to be writing the check, I'm serving the Lord. Now here's Daniel on the job serving the Lord professionally, but what is he doing? Is he passing out tracts? No, he's working hard. He's doing a good job. The king never said, Daniel, I need you for something special. Daniel never said, well, I'm witnessing to a satrap. I'll be there in 10. Or I'm praying with this satrap or that governor. No, he was a hard worker. He distinguished himself. Notice that in verse 3. He distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. That's an Aramaic participle. Aramaic is the language, the participle, the wording would be Daniel was regularly distinguishing himself. In other words, this was his work ethic. He was a hard worker. Whatever you would give him to do, he would do well, and he would distinguish himself above by that work ethic. Back to those days in the medical field. We had a kid that was a kid. I was a kid. He was a little younger kid in the department that I worked at. He was a, in, um, um, a guy who would go upstairs and, and take the gurneys and bring the patients down to us. And um, uh, a young believer, great guy. And uh, I would have him go upstairs or the department would and get de- various patients to bring them down for radiographs or scans during the day. And uh, one of the things we noticed about disorderly is that um, he was disorderly. Uh, he, would, he would bring these patients in 15, 20 minutes late and the whole day would be backed up. So I, I remember coming to him one day and saying, um, everybody's noticing that you're the guy that's late and you're always bringing patients in late and you're getting us behind and you're a Christian. 
And he smiled and he goes, oh, but Skip, I'm having the opportunity to witness to these patients before I bring them down and tell them about Christ and pray for them and pray with them. And I said, now I want you to listen very carefully. Do that on your own dime. You can do that at lunchtime. You can do it after work. When you've clocked out, go back upstairs and do witness to them and do pray with them. But when this hospital is paying you to bring patients down, don't do that. Just bring patients down. Listen, you want to be the best witness? Be the best worker. When you're a good worker, people go, I can rely on him. He's dependable professionally. Why is that? Daniel was that man. He distinguished himself. Not only did he have a good work ethic, notice why in verse 3. He distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. That's an attitude, not an action. That's an attitude. An excellent spirit. He wasn't the kind of employee that walks around with his head down, always bummed out, always complaining. I'm going to go talk to HR about this and that, and I'm going to gripe. This Daniel had an excellent spirit. And as I read down through the text and I see him thanking God in his prayer, in the worst trial of his life, thanking God, I see this excellent spirit. When is the last time you thanked your boss? Why should I thank my boss? I'm not getting paid enough. Thank him or her that you have a job. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for your Christian life. That's an excellent spirit. Daniel had a work ethic. Daniel had an excellent spirit no matter what job was given to him. I want you to pause for a moment and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment. Just flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. It's right after Ephesians chapter 5. I say it's important because chapter 5 is speaking to husbands, wives, children, parents. And then he speaks to employees. Only in those days the employees were actual slaves of slave owners. And I want you to read with me what it says. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5. Keeping Daniel in mind now. Bond servants, translated also slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service, not a clock watcher, not men pleasers, not when your boss comes around the corner, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. It's the same message as Daniel. Work hard, have a great attitude. Work hard, have a great attitude. Same message. Now, he's writing to slaves. You go, well, I feel like a slave. No, these actually were slaves. They were owned And the early church, the writings of Paul and Peter, all taught the slaves who had become Christians to so exercise their slavery by being humble and hardworking and subservient to their slave owners so that they would have an opportunity to spread the gospel. If you took that attitude, that little bit of truth, that knowledge to work tomorrow morning, Monday, it would transform your entire work day. 
It would transform your workday. It would change a job of drudgery into a meaningful ministry. I'm here by the will of God and I can spread the word and the work of God. There were three men out doing a job. Same job. They were doing exactly the same task. A man walked up to one of the three of these men and said, What are you doing? The first guy said, I'm breaking rocks. He grumbled just like that. I'm breaking rocks. He went up to the second man and said, What are you doing? The second man said, I'm earning a living. A little better. He went up to the third guy and said, What are you doing? The third guy said, I'm building a cathedral. They were all doing exactly the same thing, breaking down rocks, building blocks to build a building. One guy saw it as, I'm just breaking rocks. Other guy saw it, I'm just earning a living. The other guy thought, I'm building a cathedral. That's the big picture. I'm building a cathedral. That's an excellent spirit. So Daniel was faithful consistently, faithful professionally. Third, I'd like you to notice that Daniel was faithful under scrutiny. Look at verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. They love to butter the guy up. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days a month, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So you've got 120 provincial rulers, three administrators. And it says that the king sought, verse 3, to set Daniel above all of them and put him in charge of all of the realm of Babylon. That is what got the jealousy going. It's not that this guy just got a promotion, because we all got a promotion, but he might get a promotion above our promotion. A little historical note. It is not uncommon when one nation takes over another nation in antiquity to use the existing talent of that nation, i.e. the infrastructure of government and government officials for the purpose of taxation to keep the peace especially if they could swear an allegiance to the new king. So he felt pretty safe in doing that. But because Daniel has always occupied a place of position, probably a lot of these other guys are seeing this as their opportunity to jockey for position, especially now that Daniel is going to be promoted, perhaps, over them. That is just pure envy, pure jealousy. Anytime you occupy a position of authority or a position of power or you're in a prominent position, you will be eyed by the envious and exposed to criticism. 
that just comes with the territory. No matter what field it's in, they'll look at you and they'll envy you and they'll criticize you. They tried to do that with Daniel. To flip the coin and look at the Christian ethic, it says in Romans 12 that you are to rejoice with those who rejoice and you are to weep with those that weep. How many of you think it's harder to rejoice with people that rejoice than to weep when they weep? I do. I'll give you an example. Somebody hurting around you. Oh man, that's the first thing you'll do. You'll get around them. I'm so sorry. Oh, how can I help? Oh, I love you. I hurt when you hurt. But when somebody else gets a promotion where you work, your brother or sister, how does that feel? And you didn't get one. It's hard to rejoice with those that rejoice. Hey, brother, they they, they just gave me a hundred thousand dollar a year raise. Wow. Isn't that great? Aren't you happy for me? No. Are you kidding? Or if you were to come next Sunday and have the keys to a brand new car and say, somebody in the church gave me a brand new car. And the people around you that you know who've been praying for a car for a long time, how excited are they going to be for your rejoicing? Well, maybe you'll have a few go, well, that's really good for you. Lord, where's mine? But Lord, it's good. It's good. It's all good. Daniel was promoted. They were promoted. Now Daniel, the king, was just about to put him over the rest. And they thought, oh, this has got to stop. And with an envious eye, they looked toward him. Put him under scrutiny. But here's what you should notice. Even under scrutiny, Daniel is blameless. He's above reproach. There are no skeletons in his closet. Verse 4 in the Jerusalem translation says, But they could find nothing to discredit him and no case of negligence. He was so punctilious that they could find not a single instance of maladministration or neglect. Did you get that? Here's a powerful political figure, and there's no corruption. As they do an investigation on his past, they can find nothing on him. He's squeaky clean. It was Lord Acton who said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Here's Daniel. He almost has absolute power. He's almost always had absolute power. There's no corruption. Kent Hughes wrote a little article about corruption among the members of the 100th United States Congress. Relax. That's not the Congress that's in power now, but a previous Congress. And he noted that 29 were arrested for spousal abuse, 7 convicted of fraud, 19 arrested for writing bad checks, 117 of them bankrupted two or more businesses, 14 were arrested on drug charges, 8 were arrested on shoplifting charges, 21 with lawsuits against them, 84 were charged with driving while intoxicated. Your tax dollars at work. Here's Daniel in Babylon, now under the Medo-Persian domain. Daniel, who has been a very controversial figure, and in the midst of all of the controversy that has followed him, he's clean. Chapter 1, there was controversy because Daniel said, I'm not going to eat that stuff. I'm not going to defile myself with your diet. I'm Jewish. I keep kosher. That was controversial. But the Lord blessed him because of that. He was clean anyway. 
In chapter 2, controversy followed Daniel. As Daniel announced to Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is coming down and another kingdom is coming after you. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to hear that. In chapter 4, controversy followed Daniel when Daniel said, King, you're very, very prideful and God's going to humble you. Controversy followed him into chapter 5 when Daniel was the party pooper who walked in the midst of the drunken feast and said, "Uh, King, you're going to be dead within hours. And this kingdom tonight is coming down. But in all of the controversy, he distinguished himself above the rest. A cut above. Faithful. I've always admired Dr. Billy Graham and most Americans have as well. In fact, though he has been a controversial figure from the days with the Nixon administration and several different things over time, and he has been under the eye of scrutiny by the media, yet since 1955, George Gallup has had a list called the 10 Most Admired Men in America. Billy Graham has been on that list, you know how many times? 56 times, says Gallup more than any other human being. He's never been number one, but he's always been in the top ten. Because even under scrutiny, there's a faithful man. And Daniel, faithful. Consistently, professionally, under scrutiny. And finally, let's look at this. He was faithful spiritually. Verse 10. I love this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he said, "Uh uh-oh. No, it says he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. And then the men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel. Can't you just hear the tone in that? That Daniel. Reminds me of what my mom used to tell my dad when she didn't like my behavior. That son of yours. That Daniel who's one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed. But he makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So, it's written in the law. You cannot pray. Does Daniel stop praying? Are you kidding? He goes home, opens the windows, facing west toward Jerusalem, because that is his hope and anticipation that one day they're going to return after the captivity. Gets down on his knees, and that day he prays three times. You go, man, this guy, he's like ostentatious. That's so like in your face. No, it's not. It's called being faithful. Did you notice what it says in verse three, verse 10? As was his custom since the early days. Daniel is just doing what Daniel has always done. This isn't like new. Three times a day Daniel did it in the past. 
three times a day, Daniel's doing it now. You say, well, weren't there other options for Daniel? Couldn't he have said, okay, I'll lay low for 30 days. One month can't hurt. Because if I lay low for 30 days, the law is over. I can go back to my praying, go back to my religious stuff. Or couldn't he have said, I'll pray, but I'll do it in private. After all, religion is a private thing. Didn't do that. His custom was to open the windows unashamedly. You know, we get ashamed to pray in a restaurant before a meal. Daniel opens the windows to his house, signifying his hope in the Lord in Jerusalem, being restored. Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and he prays. Here's why. If Daniel would have done all this in private, instead of what he had always done, that would discredit his testimony. His enemies, these jealous men, would have thought, Aha, it worked. It worked. We got him to stop. But Daniel believed something. It's better to die for a conviction than to live with a compromise. I'm not going to stop even if you kill me. I got to tell you, I read through this section and every time I do, I stop and I get filled with conviction about this verse. Because I think of all the lame excuses I've had, we've had for not being consistent and faithful in our prayer life. Oh, I need my sleep, my beauty sleep. I exercise at that time. A show's on television. I'm just so busy with work. But then I think of those faithful people in our own church. They don't make a big splash. Most of you don't even know who they are. But there's the group that meets on Sundays to gather together to pray for the church, the leadership, and all of us as we gather every week. There's the couple that faithfully comes to the prayer room every week and prays through all the prayer requests we send them by email or written out in the agape boxes. There's the faithful woman who stands in front of the map and lays her hand on all the different parts of the world and for 45 minutes prays for all the missionaries. As was his custom since the early days. Who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful woman? I'm praying that God will find a faithful man in me and in you. And it just takes plotting, you know, one foot in front of the other, just being faithful, getting up, doing the same thing, long obedience in the same direction. Let me tell you a story as I close. True story. George Bolt is his name, was his name. B-O-L-D-T, Bolt. George Bolt managed a small little hotel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not much, but he was a good manager. One evening, a couple came through the lobby, asked for a room. George Bolt said, rooms are filled, no vacancy. There's not a room here. They were about to leave. George also knew there were no rooms in the city of Philadelphia. Travel was up. Visitors were thick. There wasn't a single vacancy. George knew if they left his hotel, they wouldn't find a room. So George said, listen, take my room. I'll sleep out on the couch. Just take my room. They said, oh, we can't take your room. They said, no, I insist. If you don't take my room, you won't find a room. So they took his room, spent the night, got up the next day. They were checking out of the hotel, out of his room. And the elderly gentleman said to George Bolt, you know, you are a good manager. You ought to manage the biggest, finest hotel in the world. 
and I'm going to build it for you one day. George said, okay, yeah, right, cool, thanks. See ya, God bless you guys. A few years later, George received a letter in the mail from an elderly gentleman in New York. It was that man. He reminded him of the story and asked George to come to New York and visit him for a few days. Inside the envelope was also a ticket so he could get there. George gets to New York, is taken to a corner, downtown Manhattan, downtown New York City, and looks up at this big, beautiful hotel, and the elderly gentleman said, I'd like you to manage this hotel. The elderly gentleman's name? William Waldorf Astor. One of the wealthiest men in America, he just built the Waldorf Astoria, one of the finest hotels ever. You see, that elderly gentleman knew that if George could be faithful in managing a little hotel in Philadelphia and be that caring for his patrons, that he'd do a great job with the Waldorf Astoria. He was given the job. He was the manager of the Waldorf Astoria. Sound familiar? If you're faithful in the little things... You'll be ruler over 10 cities. How are you managing your life? Because how you're managing your life now will largely determine the position and rewards that you get when you're in glory in heaven. Saved by grace, purely by grace, but rewarded according to faithfulness. Be a faithful worker. Be a faithful husband, be a faithful wife, be a faithful friend. Work hard, excellent spirit. Only God can work that in. But I figure the more we follow the faithful God, some of it ought to rub off. Let's pray. Father, we pray it does. We pray that your character would rub off more and more upon us. That we, like Daniel, a man who didn't have a big support group, didn't have a church or temple to go to, didn't have sacrifices or a priesthood in Babylon. All we know is that he had the writings of Jeremiah the prophet and a wholehearted commitment in the faithfulness of God. And therefore, he himself, in following you, was faithful consistently, professionally, in scrutiny and spiritually like a finely built, four-walled city, secure, because the faithful God kept him secure. Lord, we, we pray marching into this next week, praying that you'll keep us, and that our work day, whether we are a, a mother with a family, we have kids that depend on us or we are men or women who go to work professionally that we would see that as a holy calling and use it to spread your truth where we hang our hat or our coat for those eight hours or more during the day in Jesus name we pray amen For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.